This is the Lake Ridge Faith and Culture Podcast with our series, God Rules. Women want more rights, more access to abortion, more freedom, not less. Hell is knowing your truth and lacking the courage to live it. I don't care. I have lots of things I disagree with about the Bible. Why are we doing even a series on the Ten Commandments? The law was always meant to communicate God's character and God's truth and the reality of how God made the world. An articulation of our purpose, what it means to be human according to God's intent. Here's what happens when you balk at structure, balk at God's guidelines and boundaries that he's posted. It's not good what takes its place. So when God gives us these instructions, basically it, it, it implies you're a bunch of lying, fornicating, self-worshiping yeah. louts, you know. We shouldn't think about them as arbitrary rules, but we should think about them as God showing us the way to live fulfilling, long-lasting life in the world. We believe the enemy is after your mind and heart, and as shepherds, we're jumping into the fray. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the conversation. And we're all back together here with the usual suspects. We've got Kyle Wisdom. Hello, everybody. And Van Minter. Yep. We've got Jeremy on the dials and buttons. And we've got Keith Lowry with us. Howdy. And myself, Ben Lowry. We're, we're doing the God Rules series here in this podcast. We're going to be talking about the sixth commandment today. We're all the way through. We're to the second half of, of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, as the Jews would have it. And... Um, this is the commandment, you shall not murder. Up to this point, there's been a lot of uh, sort of extrapolation on the writer, on Moses' part, on God's part, on these commandments, but this is the first one we get where it's just sort of flatly stated, don't murder. So um, so what's the deal with murder, anyway? What's the deal with it? <laughs> It's just bad. <laughs> it's just bad. Are, are we through the podcast now? Yeah, so that's that's about the size of it. So we're signing off, I guess. Hope yeah, you yeah. This episode is over. Yeah. Um, you know, I think obviously there's. It's it's sort of funny because I was I was reading in Calvin's uh, discourse on the Ten Commandments and and the "Do not murder," "You shall not murder," "Shall not kill" command was by far the shortest chapter. I mean, like. A page and a half of a chapter, kind of, kind of thing. Yeah, the entire commentary is, of course, you shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. right. But you know, I think that one of the things that we have in our culture is when we talk about this a lot is that we, ours is a culture of death, mm-hmm. and we see that not only here in the United States but around the world. Um, and so, I, th- I think it'd be good for us to spend some time today talking about how we've gone from. Uh, the obvious don't kill, no need to elaborate, page and a half chapter in Calvin's discourse to nuanced debates about who we can kill and who we can't kill and for what reasons. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I I think that um, maybe, I'm just speculating here, maybe one of the reasons that there's just no elaboration on this is because this was not a new command and it wasn't uh it was a long-standing prohibition that god put in place all the way going back going back all the way to noah and in fact it was a prohibition before that because we see what happened to cain mm-hmm. uh when he did what he did but when when it, noah and his sons and their wives all came off the ark he put a prohibition in place against taking the life of another human being and that prohibition actually interesting applied to both men and animals yeah and the reason he gave for that is because uh, it, it was it, it it was a s- act of assault on the image of God Himself, because human beings are image bearers, mm-hmm. which we've talked about at length uh, in other episodes of this podcast. And so I, I think to your question, Ben, about why are we, where did this culture of death emerge from? I'm not sure it can be disconnected from a loss of acceptance of the idea that human beings are created in the image of God. Yeah. I think also, too, the first murder that we get, even before, as you were mentioning, Keith, the prohibition in Genesis 9 with Noah and his family, 
uh, is between two brothers, and all of these commands are a display about something about us. And the command to not murder is the same as all the rest in the sense that God has to tell us not to murder because we seem to have a particular appetite to kill one another. I sort of joke with the students from time to time, and you know, this is just sort of my sixth sense of humors. I say one of the things humans have always been better at every single generation is we always find new and inventive ways to kill one another. It's just one of our human traits. And I think from the very first murder, we get a little glimpse into why we're so good at it. And it's because we always seem to see the other person as an obstacle to our own happiness. We say the most important obstacle to me getting what I want in life is another person. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to remove them. Well, and what's interesting is that that's exactly why uh, Cain killed Abel. Um, He saw his brother as an imposition on his own success. His sacrifice wasn't acceptable. And so he found his brother's success um, insufferable. Um, He wasn't going to, he couldn't stomach the fact that his brother's success was somehow in the way of his own ability to succeed in life. And so he slaughtered him out of jealousy and rage. I think that's one reason that people kill. I think um, I'm sort of came across a a reference to Michael Caine, the actor's quote in Batman, Hmm. when he said, I think it was about the Joker. Some people just want to see the world burn. Hmm. And I think, we saw this last past week, frankly, mm-hmm. in Highland Park, Illinois, mm-hmm. where nobody was in that guy's way. Um, he just wanted to kill and destroy, and mm-hmm. and for whatever warped satisfaction he got out of doing that. And so I do think there is the scenario where people are sort of reacting to someone else that they conceive of as in their way, and in in that sense, it's an act of idolatry because they're saying. What I want is more important than what God wants, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he wants me to refrain from killing that person, but I want something else, and so I'm going to do it. But there's also this phenomenon where people are, are so um, degraded that uh, they just do it for satisfaction. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what you were saying before, Keith, is that we we kill sometimes because there is a lack of belief in the image of God in the other person. Mm-hmm. I think you see a similar thing when you have someone who has degraded their own perception of the image of God within themselves, when they lack the purpose that the image is meant to give, when yeah. they lack the moral code the image is meant to give, they just inevitably turn to violence because that is in many ways just the opposite of that. Yeah. I think you see that with the abortion issue. I mean, it's... When you fail to see people create an image of God, it's easy to say or can tell yourself that what's in the mother's womb is not a human being. And I think it's one of the reasons, you know, uh, the those that are for it fight really hard. I don't want them to see a sonogram. I don't want them to hear a heartbeat, you know, because it says something about what, what's in the in the mother's womb. And uh, so there's just a willful rejection of of who God has created us to be. And uh, so it's not surprising that we find ourselves where we're at today. Um, again, I, my mind always goes back to Romans 1. This is the consequence of ignoring God. He's going to give you over to a depraved mind, and these are the kind of actions that, that take place. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know if we'd be able to plumb the depths of all the reasons that people kill one another. Um, we've, we've uncovered a handful today. Some people are just, you know— bat droppings crazy and other people are um after the uh, uh you know trying to get back at someone for revenge or they get them out of the way some people do it out of fits of jealousy and rage um but there's also uh, you know when we talk about a culture of death we're we're really not talking about murder that everyone agrees by and large in society is wrong hmm. We're talking about, with the culture of death, murder that we excuse, death that we Mm. excuse. And so Van brings up the abortion side. There's also the side of euthanasia that's gaining traction in Western nations. Mercy killings. You know, it's okay to kill somebody if you're um, alleviating suffering. Um, 
you know, even young people. We're not talking yeah. about euthanasia just on the sort of the far end of the aged, aged spectrum, but even young people who just don't want to live anymore or who've really had it bad or got a bad disease or something, it's like mercy would be to end their life, like putting a horse down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their you know? their psychological distress has gotten so intense for them that those countries are actually allowing them to just end their own life because in their mind, to your point, it's a mercy killing. Right. Um, I have a friend that did that, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy I worked for um, and for many years in the, in the uh, really 1990 to 1995 time frame. We did a technology startup. He was a CEO. It was a small company. We all knew each other and worked together. And uh, recently, he was very successful uh, Indian, Southeast Asian <clears throat> Indian uh, businessman. And uh, got cancer and just chose to end his life. Um, Hmm. You know, his kids were grown, still married to his wife, but just opted out and wrote a statement, you know, for all the people that had known and worked with him. Uh, There was actually an article in the New York Times about him. And and he basically just said, you know, um, this is a way to leave with dignity. You know, I mean, I... I hate that he got sick and I hate all of that for his family. But this uh, notion that taking your own life or assisting someone else to take their life is an act of preservation of dignity is just another way of saying um, I'm above the kind of suffering that exists in the world. And I won't be a part of that um, as if suffering is pointless on its face. Mm as if there's nothing to be gained through suffering. Um, anyway, but it is a, a preference of, you know, for death over anything that wasn't already on my approved agenda of things to happen in my life. You know? Well, and, and I guess you could apply the same mindset to the front end when we talk about abortion. If, you know, it killing in that, in that case, and I think there's honestly, there's... There are a group of people who still promote abortion because they've eliminated the personhood of the object in the woman's womb. You know, they, they say, well, it's just a fetus. But there's also some who know jolly well that it's a person and still promote the, the killing of it. Like, they, they don't have any um, illusions about about what's going on there. They just prefer that scenario to um, uh, anything that might infringe on the mother's happiness. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea that happiness um, is the meaning of life. I think that that permeates the the, the mercy-killing kind of justified, virtuous slaughter sort of mindset. Yeah, and more than that, my immediate happiness. My immediate happiness. My immediate desires be gratified. And that the opposite might also be true in their minds, that to be unhappy or, in the case of abortion— to cause unhappiness makes you as a very unfortunate set of uh, European people said life unworthy of life mm-hmm. um, to to be the cause of unhappiness is to then make your life unvaluable or less valuable mm-hmm. or a life that shouldn't be lived um, is a really, really dark place for a culture to go. But it's one that we've sort of swam in for a long time to the point where we almost don't question it. Mm-hmm. In in some ways, I think I've found myself in even debates about abortion where someone will bring up like, well, do you want this child to grow up in a home where the family doesn't love them? And you sort of feel like you have to scramble and explain that. You're like, well, 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 well no, I don't want them to grow up in that scenario. But then it's... But what alternative are you suggesting here? Like, what world are we living in where we can eradicate, to your point, Keith, the reality of suffering or the reality of unhappiness, that that would somehow just be eliminated? Well, if we were all dead, it'd be better. Really? Well, Margaret Sanger, the the um, sort of pioneer for women's rights and the abortion realm, eugenics, you know, proponent, all that, she... um she actually said just that, Kyle. It was her that was her one of her arguments. You can see this in a recent documentary put out by a group called Canon Press called Eve in Exile, where um 
they there's a clip of Margaret Sanger actually saying, you know, these are people, these are children who are born into poverty and born with diseases and born marked for prison and for a life of suffering. And the greatest sin in the world would be to bring such people into the world. Um, well, nobody asked them. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, at, at some fundamental level, the argument for abortion for many boils down to it's better you're better off dead than to be a poor black child mm-hmm. honestly that's mm-hmm. that's what it really boils down to for many people in the way they think about mm-hmm. why uh, we should have it and th- uh, you know there's a racist component there's a materialist assumption component there's so many mm-hmm. things wrong with that mentality but that's really what underlies it and in addition to the whole convenience and comfort factor in abortion, there is still even in that question, and I think we've seen this in spades on the heels of uh, the reversal of uh, Roe v. Wade, which is a really fun thing to say on the heels of the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Yeah. That's we just keep saying that for a while. Um, on the heels of that, you've actually seen in reaction kind of an outburst of protest, but you've also seen a little bit of an outburst of celebration of by women of their abortions, not just, well, mm-hmm. I did this and it's unfortunate that <laughs> I had to in order to ensure my own future or whatever reason, but an absolute celebration of it. And I I sort of put those people in the Michael Caine camp. Some people just want to see the world burn. It's a, it's a perverse mm-hmm. love for destruction uh, of anything and especially human life. Well, and I think it's important to reiterate to Keith what you said about someone being made in the image of God, the reason that those babies are off limits is not because we can create some great argument about how good their life will be when we finally get them here. Yeah. So it we don't have to feel the burden to say, well, no, don't worry, we'll make their life great, or no, don't worry, they'll end up curing cancer, right? Like we don't have to make these arguments of – there's some pragmatic benefit this baby will give us. Mm-hmm. We can simply fall upon the biblical truth that this baby belongs to God, not you. Mm-hmm. And so God says, don't kill it. <laughs> God says that one belongs to me, and I decide when it's born, and I decide when it dies. And so we have to let him have that that jurisdiction with that innocent mm-hmm. life. I'm always amazed by the mindset that justifies, you know, if, it, if I view this as an inconvenience, then I have the right to end the life of this unborn child. And I just want to say to the people that think that way, pray that you don't come across somebody on the street that views you as an inconvenience. You know, if we're yeah. going to justify that mentality, then I have a right to get rid of anybody in my life that is an inconvenience or in the way of my happiness. There's arbitrary term limits for that kind of thinking, yeah. right? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, well, mm-hmm. up to this age. I mean, in, in a sense, uh, Van, that's what road rage, road rage killings really are, yeah. right? I mean, people just go off because you, you, you're in my way on the lane, right. you know? And so there are people who wander the planet uh, prepared to take the life of other people by, because of their inconvenience. At first, I thought you were talking about those people who are celebrating their abortions, and you were calling it row rage. No, no. Yeah. And I was very impressed with <laughs> yeah. your turn of phrase yeah, on that. Yeah, that's good. That's quick um, there. Yeah, we should coin that. Yeah. We started this whole conversation in God Rules on the Ten Commandments, identifying who the God of our society is, and it turns out it's the self, um, and self-worship, and you know, even worshiping our own image. And down through the commandments, we've we keep finding the self appear as the center point of our virtue um, and our our understanding of virtue or even the meaning of life. And I think we find this same phenomena here, phenomenon here in the the sixth commandment on not murdering. It's the it's the self. It's the elevation of the self above all other things. Um, even other people, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not good, you know. There's, and, and and I think I think Christians even on this question of the reversal of Roe v. Wade have kind of botched their response to it at some level. You get some Christians who are like, "Well, we shouldn't be celebrating the reversal of Roe versus Wade because some people are really upset by this, and it's not right to celebrate when other people are upset." You know, and I, I've been kind of shocked by that response. I mean, I've seen that 
<clears throat> I mean, I've seen it in terms of people talking about that response online, but I've also actually seen people in social contexts in which I have a connection, a real personal connection, sort of argue in favor of um, its divisive or its dissension creating to be outspoken about being glad that Roe v. Wade was reversed. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting, and for me at least, unexpected phenomenon that's occurred among Christians. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's I think it's a, an example, a symptom of this idea of the self and how important the preservation of interior happiness or the the, the watch care that we should have over other people's feelings, mm-hmm. you know, the psychological self. Don't trespass, don't transgress the psychological self. And if we've elevated that to a level of virtue above even virtue or justice. Um, right. It's more important to celebrate um, someone's emotion about a thing rather than whether or not the thing itself is just. Right, right. Yeah. It's it's objectively just to not kill babies and to celebrate the fact that it's now harder to do that. In, in a lot of places, many Christians were saying was actually wrong to celebrate because it would literally, I mean, it's almost, it, this is not an exaggeration, it would be like saying, don't celebrate the end of World War II because there are Nazis everywhere grieving that they lost. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's... We're going to yeah. celebrate, and then we'll deal with the Nazis, you know, yeah. and their feelings. <laughs> I think that's where the conversation has to start. We, we have to agree murder mm-hmm. is a sin. God's Word says so. And so before feelings get introduced into the conversation and, and caring for other people's perspectives that don't line up with what God says, uh, we have, that, that has to be the starting point of our conversation if we're going to have a healthy one and, and it be constructive, I think, with people that— um, believe that abortion or murder in any form or fashion is okay. I think it's also worth introducing. We're probably going to go there anyway. But, you know, Jesus makes it clear it's not just the physical act, but it's also an attitude of heart we have toward other people, mm-hmm. um, hating our brothers. And um, I would even say for those that are agents of murder, that peddle uh, drugs like fentanyl that kill people, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're murdering people by being out there pushing something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot to consider when we talk about this commandment, you know, what all does that entail? But, uh, as I was telling you, Ben, yesterday on the way to lunch, sometimes, uh, I think we can have a justifiable anger as Christians over things in the world that are going on, but also at the same time, we don't watch it, get a really, such an angry heart towards the individual. We we need to guard ourselves and not have a a hate toward the person Mm -hmm. created in the image of God. And so, um, I, I wouldn't call the way I've viewed certain individuals as hating them, but I have found myself repenting of just a, a really bad heart attitude that I've had because of the things I see happening in the world mm-hmm. uh, and the individuals that are promoting it. And so I've, have, I've asked the Lord to help me really uh, think better and, and, and temper my emotions over things I think we should be angry about, but not direct it toward the person mm-hmm. yeah. uh, necessarily. Yeah, he Jesus has a pretty interesting thing that he does in that passage where he's talking about listen if you if you call your brother fool mm-hmm. right then you uh you are liable to hellfire which is like man just just swinging it there's a lot hammer. of social media people going to hell uh, um, <laughs> on that basis and what's interesting is he also is a person who refers to people as fools <laughs> later on in like matthew 23 so it's it's an interesting dynamic and what i what i've sort of found to be the through line through that is that Jesus is not saying we don't condemn that which is wicked in other people, or we're not angry about things that people do that are wrong, as much as it is any attitude toward another person or any words that we use towards another person that assign them as a less than category in the sense of he's saying you don't – you he's not forbidding us from saying what you have done is foolish or – I am angry with what this person has done, but he's saying, I hate that person, and therefore they are not deserving of the image of God treatment. Mm -hmm. That is the moment when you've entered into this, the same as murder, because murder would be to reduce someone below an image bearer of God. Same thing with that attitude of those actions that do the same. And I I do think that 
here in sort of modern 21st century um, evangelicalism, we have elevated niceness probably to a level of virtue right. that right. we shouldn't have. You know, like, I mean, you go back and even read the Reformers, who, you know, we're all descendants of the Reformers in our tradition. They were not nice in their arguments. And I'm not <laughs> saying we, we take on their their language or their posture toward other people or people we disagree with, but um, but I think we have a lot to learn from people who were more concerned with truth and justice and virtue than with civility. Yeah. Um, when when civility is raised above those issues, we get something out of whack. Civility is based should be based upon the foundation of um, justice and virtue. And- so I have an intuition that I think exactly what you've just said, Ben, niceness is the reason why I have a culture that loves abortion but hates capital punishment. Mm. Because uh, the the verse you were quoting right at the beginning, Keith, is actually the original declaration of capital punishment from God. Yes, yes. He says, uh, the one who sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. So it's like, don't murder or you will be murdered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which... Uh, is to misconstrue the, the term murder, right? So murder is not just simply the killing of another human. It's the unjust killing of another human. Because God's saying, listen, there is a moment when God has ordained the death of another human being mm-hmm. at the hands of other human beings. Mm-hmm. And so what we have in our culture now is we've rejected virtue, which is defend innocent human life. And we've embraced niceness, which says, don't kill people if we've got to watch it. Because that's that feels unnice. Mm-hmm. That feels uncomfortable. Yeah, I had a I had a conversation recently. So several years ago, I went through a a program. It was kind of a year long apologetics reading and training program. And I did this program, and now I'm part of this group of kind of a watering hole of people who all went through the program together, and we have these conversations online. And somebody, this was a forum in which someone weighed in and said, "Oh, we shouldn't." outwardly celebrate Roe v. Wade because it's dissentious and divisive and, you know, hurts people's feelings. And and really called into the question, uh, into the discussion, the fruits of the Spirit. Um, we're not exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit, basically, is what this person was saying, if if uh, we celebrate the reversal of Roe. And, and I said to this person in a conversation that I think this is sort of over-realizing the fruits of the Spirit, because in the very same book in which Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, he, he talks about a certain group of people and says, let them be accursed. You know, in Acts chapter 13, he strikes someone blind who's interfering with the spread of the gospel, and in other places he said, I wish they would go all the way and emasculate themselves. So he had mean things to say sometimes directed mm-hmm. toward people, and yet this is the guy who articulated the fruits of the spirit and in some cases he had means things to say in the very same book or jesus saying like hey if you cause a little one to stumble it's better for you you be thrown off a cliff with a millstone tied around your neck yeah so so there's this that's harsh there's this over realization of um niceness as it relates and a lack of discernment in some sense about what how to apply what it means to apply the fruits of the spirit in the life that we're engaged in. And I think this business of elevating niceness to the virtue above all virtues is very much a, a modern phenomenon uh, in our Christian yeah. thought life. Yeah, I think about Stephen's speech, <laughs> you stiff-necked people. You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, is there, was there ever a prophet your forefathers had, didn't murder or do away yeah. with, and then they yeah. murder him, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. But. And niceness prevents us from actually fulfilling the command because sometimes the defense of innocent human life is not nice, mm-hmm. right? So when we talk about capital punishment, the defense of innocent human life, mm-hmm. preventing someone who has demonstrated their, their ability and their willingness to end the life of other innocent humans, mm-hmm. removing that person from doing it again. Self-defense is another issue like this, where Christians for a long time have said this is something that God allows for the purpose of the defense of innocent human life. Um, is not is not a nice situation, mm-hmm. but it's it's trying to live into virtue. You know, um, one of my favorite books is a book called Drawing Life. It's out of print now, 
uh, but it's written by a guy named David Galerter. David Galerter is, uh, well, he's a world-famous uh, computer scientist, uh, widely, and he's really sort of a renaissance man. He's a computer scientist and has written some authoritative books on parallel programming, but he's also written a wide variety of books on other subjects, and he's a musician, and he's a political commentator, widely published in places like the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and other places. So he's a really, you know, a well-known guy in certain circles. Anyway, he wrote this book, Drawing Life, because he happened to be the target of, one of the targets of the Unabomber back in the day, where he went into his office one day, opened up a package, and it was a zip fuse that exploded in his face and very nearly killed him. Um, but he wrote this book, Drawing Life, as kind of a moral reflection on his experience as a victim of the Unabomber, Unabomber, I guess is the way he said. Anyway, in this book, he's talking about the question of, of capital punishment. And Kyle, your comment made me think of this. Um, he's talking about the que- question of capital punishment. And he says, we, we keep faith with the dead by being willing to execute their murderers. Mm. Oof. Um, he, he, he argues that it's a betrayal. Gosh. Of, of those who have been killed to not take the trouble to ensure that their killers pay the price that they, that they should pay. And it's a matter of justice on behalf of the dead. And even he goes on to argue on the, on the behalf of the families of the dead. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of an interesting point of view about the fact that there's a justice component. And, and I think, it, and, and it also, I think goes further. Gosh, Keith, where do you find these places? You read these these amazing things. Um, but if if God is the one who originally instituted this idea, and it's based in this idea that that person is made in the image of God, it is ultimately God who is primarily robbed when a human being is killed unjustly. And for God to demand the price of another human, it is a display of the value that he gives to every human life. He said, there's no question of, well, how young was the person when they died? Well, how old were they? Well, how good of a person were they really? At the end of the day, he says, that person was valuable to me. And the only way to demonstrate to other humans how valuable they were is if the price for them is the also inestimable value of another human life. It's... It's it's a harsh thing, but I think it's the way that God demonstrates the value of humans to other humans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important. It's it's so important as a principle that the Bible's position is that you can forfeit your right to life by taking the life of someone else. Yeah. That this is this is. I mean, to my knowledge, there there. I think there are other acts you can do, but this was the first one articulated. Yeah. Uh, in scripture yeah. that really that um, if you take the life of another person unjustly, then your life is forfeit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting that, um, you know, when, when Pilate offered to let Jesus go, the life giver, what the people demanded was a murderer, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's just a reversal of... Yeah. Of everything we're talking about, with well, it's like we crave what. That's a good example of something I'm, I'm thinking about listening to you guys talk, and it's and and this is a quote, you know, John Adams quote that gets tossed about a lot today, and that's probably a reflection of our society um, more than anything else. But he talked about how self government is really a form of government only suited for a moral people, um, and to the extent that a society loses its scruples and um, is no longer cognizant or aware of God or um, um, then then the society self-government itself falls apart and we drift back toward tyranny or injustice or <clears throat> and we're seeing that in our society where real injustice like the killing of innocent life is being lauded as a virtue and it goes back to the loss of our um, like even in the example you bring up van this is a people who had rejected God and favored the murderer, um, chosen the murderer over him. And we're seeing that play out on a large scale, I think, in our society today. Having rejected God, we take up the, the, the cause of the murderer. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, and then below that, it's just rejection of authority of any kind. And so I know this can happen in any state, but it's happening more in the states that are run where mm-hmm. it's a, a defund this mm-hmm. department and 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 don't don't charge criminals for coming in and taking stuff off the shelves. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a complete lack of respect for authority, mm-hmm. and and you see the consequence that that people reap as a result of that. There was an interesting uh, statistic that I I read recently. I think it's a valid statistic. It's a Gallup statistic, although these things have to be interpreted rightly. But anyway, um, risking <laughs> a, a, a number lie, um, there's, I think it's something like 92 to 93% of those who identify as being on the conservative right um, also identify as believers. They believe in God and they're, they're religious at a practicing level. Whereas only 60% of those on the left, um, Mm. on the liberal left, would identify the same way. And one of the things the article was highlighting is that the political divide that we see in our nation really is more and more a religious versus irreligious divide. It very much is becoming more and more that way. And um, we certainly see that on issues like this, when, when you get the left, you know, lobbying for a woman's right to terminate a child and that being pressed all the way out to even further and further extremes, you know. Well, the the sacrificing of children for the good of the community is not a not an American invention. Yeah. You see throughout the Old Testament uh, societies, Canaanites being a, a chief group of them, who were known to worship gods like Molech, mm-hmm. whose, it seemed chief sacrifice that he desired from them was to sacrifice children so that it would rain Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in their minds there was a literal calculus that in order for the community to thrive Mm -hmm. children had to die Mm -hmm. and and in our minds the horror of that the idea that someone would consent to such a thing i mean we look at them and we think what what sort of barbarians are they but in some ways the canaanites are better and here's why i think in some ways, the Canaanites are better than us because they actually believed children were a valuable sacrifice. They at least knew Molech was asking something big of them. Yeah. If we're rank ordering the moral um, awareness of our child sacrificers, then I guess the Canaanites come out on top. But which yeah, is sad. but but I, the point being, <clears throat> right? They at least recognized that there was something big being asked of them. They were just depraved enough to do it. Right. The American mind is willing to say, I need to sacrifice my child for the purpose of my community or my family thriving Mm -hmm. because I really don't think it's that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say this. I mean, in some ways it goes without saying, but I think we need to be careful in in talking about this that we don't just sort of slip by and buy the argument. We're really not just trying to say, well, don't take the life of your baby because it's wrong, regardless of the fact that it might destroy some convenience or happiness that you had in mind. Here's the deal. It is a false argument to make the argument that it is a given that taking the life of an unborn child will make your life better. Yeah. Yeah. That, fair. We're, yeah, 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 yeah. We're, that is For just sure. simply a false assumption. And it's just sort of slipstreamed into the... Into the, into the narrative uh, by the people who want to kill children. And, it, you know, if you've known any women who've had abortions, it is mm-hmm. a life-changing burden that they have taken on and a consequence that will haunt them yeah. for the rest of their life. I saw, a, I saw a, an image of one of the women protesting out in front of uh, Supreme Court, and she had her kids with her and her husband. And the kids were kind of ranged between, looked like ages like three to eight or something. Three kids. And she had a, she's wearing a sandwich board or something on the front that said, um, don't force this on anyone. And the kids are like <laughs> kind of sad looking in the photo. And, <laughs> oh my goodness. And, and you're looking at this, you're going, you, you're so blinded by this idea that abortion is a virtue that your own kids, you're, you're parading through the streets calling them a burden to both you and society, right? Um, like, So to your point about children are a blessing, and 
Um, yeah. That's the Christian narrative. Yeah, and for the people that we were talking about earlier, celebrating, like, I had an abortion yeah. and this is what it did for me, they're lying. Mm-hmm. They're lying. It's just because it's not natural and it's not part, part of God's design. So I think if we ever have the opportunity to converse with somebody that has been in that position— as, you know, it's something new. Yeah, as though on. having as as though having some amount of extra dollars in the bank or having a more clear schedule was a greater like fulfillment of one's life. Mm-hmm. Um well, it's a child. In Romans six, what benefit did you gain from the things that you're now ashamed of? Mm-hmm. Talking just about sin of, of any type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You you don't get to claim that this was a benefit to my life because it's right. not. Right. Even on purely materialist terms. Yeah. Um the, psy- yeah. the damage to your psyche may preclude any of the kind of success that you envision, you know, just because you're so weighed down with the consequences. I mean, there's just no, there's no one knows the future, but it is a faulty way to reason that says, I'm going to just get rid of this obstacle and everything's going to go well for me. It's not. Well, there's, I think there's also more to the culture of death than just killing. And it's sort of, to Kyle's point, life is cheap. Um, we don't value life on the flip side of that coin. It's not just that we're okay with killing. We don't value life, and children is just one of those examples. And so we defer the growing of families as long as we possibly can for the accumulation of material wealth, right? And so how many even young Christian families haven't haven't embraced the biblical ethic that having children is a source of joy and happiness and uh, and true wealth. Um, you know, one of my favorite books is Les Miserables, and one of the things that Jean Valjean learns is that his adopted daughter um, is the greatest wealth that he ever had in his life, and he comes to the end of his life, and it's having his daughter by his side that means more to him than anything else. And many people sacrifice wealth, true wealth, uh, to, to gain material possession and I'm, I'm thinking of the guy who you know stored up all his wheat and barns and you're just going you fool speaking of calling someone a fool yeah you fool you thought that was wealth it's not wealth or the same thing you know the scriptures call us to value the gray head in our mm-hmm. in our midst and I think the same thing is true that we talk about with not valuing the very young it goes with not valuing the very old because we begin to lose that pragmatic we seem to assume we will lose a pragmatic benefit when, you know, they have to start taking Medicare or they're no longer in the workforce. Hmm. It, we then assume that all of a sudden all the value of that person just evaporates right. when some of the most fan- amazing conversations I've had with human beings on God's earth have been with people in those twilight years of life when wisdom is just just emanating off of them and and love and joy and, and even the suffering that goes with caring for someone in the later stages of life, uh, to the point that was made earlier, suffering is not antithetical to, to uh, growth or to value in life. Um, we need to value those, those people in those seasons as well just as much and not give in to the belief that there's some sort of uh, material benefit we're looking for yeah. that means – they're not worth it. I'm a big proponent of valuing people with gray hair. I just want to go on record <laughs> saying that. Um, yeah, and and valuing people with no hair that seems to be the. <laughs> if, if I had hair, it would be yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, And on both ends of the spectrum, we ought to be valuing people with no hair. It turns out. Um, yeah. So I I I want us to we've 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 talked about the abortion and the child sacrifice and euthanasia and those kinds of. Um, sort of virtue killings, uh, we could call it, in our society, the culture of death. But there is this other aspect that um, that you brought up, Dad, about like the people who just want to watch the world burn and mm. um, and and kill for the kicks um, of it. And <clears throat> I I'd like us, you know, so evil like that is, we would say both the the, the consequence, and I think the Christian tradition would argue that evil like that is the consequence of both nature and nurture. We are all Mm. capable of that kind of wickedness. Um, And so it's something just innate to human nature that allows it to be wicked and depraved, right? That's the fall. But there's also something in nurture, in the way Mm. that a a person spends their time or puts their minds on or gives gives their hearts to, that I think 
um, makes it more likely that a human falls to that level of depravity. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the factors in our culture um, that contribute to a mindset that might give way to that sort of uh, just despicable yeah. action. I think it's it's no secret that the people committing some of the most headliner, at least, um, violent acts in our country over the last 10 years are usually young. They're usually male. They're usually somewhat financially stable individuals. They live on the internet. They have no purpose. And they're absorbed in some community that has no vested interest in them. I, I think there's there's something to be said for a person who gets to physical maturity and has has not found a real purpose and has been divorced from a community that could give them a purpose and has dove into a digital community that's just looking for kicks. You're just asking for all the worst things about that person to just mm-hmm. bubble to the surface. I saw recently your comment about being divorced from community. It starts sooner than you might think on that front. I, mm. I saw recently that every school shooter um, that we have on record is from a home without a father. Mm. I didn't, I don't know if that's accurate. I hadn't looked up to verify, you know, I haven't gone through case by case to see if that's true, but that's what I saw recently that every school shooter has been from a home without a father. So something mm. in, in, the person's life is broken from the very very beginning. And in a man's life, to not have a father around can end up with a, a variety of weird consequences. And I think when um, one of the other weird factors is also video games hmm. in a lot of these cases, maybe all of these cases. Um, but I know in the vast majority of these cases, these are young men who uh, spent a godless amount of time on violent video games where they're get, they get to play out their fantasies. There was one guy who was arrested at one point. I, I read about this in a book called Glow Kids. Really good book. Um, interesting book, by the way. But this is a kid who was arrested and brought into um, the police department for questioning. He was in a room, and he, he disarmed the police person, uh, the police officer who was with him, killed him, killed the person next to him who came in and then killed multiple people down the hall because he he had been trained by video games how to act tactically in a scenario like that. He had no external training. He just had the intellectual training to know exactly what to do, exactly where to look, exactly when to strike, exactly where to shoot. Um, and uh, it was the video games that had given him the training mm. to do that. Mm. So... When, whenever a school shooting or a mass shooting or something like that happens with a young child or a young man, anytime someone brings up the video game or the movies or music um, as a possible contributor to the depravity of that person's mind and soul, <clears throat> the culture throws up like red flags. Don't go there. Don't don't touch the arts. Mm-hmm. Because this is a self-expression is sacred, so yeah. we, we we need yeah. to be able to create the kind of art that we need to be able to create, and that's that's not touchable, right? So say what you want in your music; no one can tell you not to say those things. Do what you want in your video games; no one well, can tell you different. Th- their attempt to appease the concern that we would have over that is to put a label on it or a rating, saying, mm-hmm. "Look, be forewarned," but. Mm-hmm. Leave it alone, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> it's just interesting that we're as a, we as a society are more um, committed to the 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 ethic of self expression mm. than uh, we would be to getting at the root of why someone might be slaughtering other people and feel totally okay with that. I I think Ben, um, you're on the right track with your comments about fatherlessness uh, being a contributing factor to pathology. I, I think that we have massive amounts of evidence that that's true along an entire continuum and not just at the extreme of mass murder. Violence. Uh, I think, 
you know, most of the people, I think, in our prisons came from fatherless homes. Um, when I was doing my dissertation, there was a website you could access called fatherhood.gov. And on the very homepage, it listed a host of factors um, that having a father in the home contributes to a child's well-being and not having a father home. Mm. Con- uh, the consequences of not having a father in, in the home. Yeah. Prison so, education, literacy, vocabulary, I mean, I- any number of things. Yeah, so I think that fatherlessness, although I think in this most recent shooter, it was a broken home. I think his father was involved in his life, maybe not constructively, but at some level right. he wasn't missing, right. so to speak. Um, having said that, though, there is a common theme also among these shooters, which is uh, marijuana use and mm. sustained. And so a lot of these guys are stoners. And uh, and there's a growing body of evidence about the psychotic effects of uh, marijuana of sustained marijuana use, and in fact, you know, I mean, if we look at biblical prohibitions and uh, gateways to the demonic, I mean, the, the original language of the New Testament talks about pharmakeia. You know, mm-hmm. as as being, I mean, there was that was there that's has, the Greek word for has, sorcery, right? There has long been a a connection between uh, the consumption of drugs and demonic mm-hmm. uh, behavior, and so uh, I, I just think we shouldn't just ignore mm. that facet of this, and particularly this matters for people who are living in states where increasingly this is being legalized mm-hmm. yeah. right i mean we don't happen to live in a state where that's legal but there we're you know we're surrounded by states well and in which it's legal and the reason i think it's worth talking about this not so much because the culture is stupid and thinks these things are okay like grotesque you know violent murderous video games or movies or drugs being legalized or you know no fault divorce and all the things that contribute to broken homes broken lives and depraved hearts it's not so much that the culture is that way, it's that I hear more and more Christians l- arguing in favor of um, protecting self-expression and, well, well, it's just a movie. It's just a movie. It's just a video game. You know, Christians making these arguments. Or, you know, it, we, we've legalized tobacco. Let's legalize marijuana. You know, stupid, thoughtless uninformed Christians lobbying for things, they have no idea what the consequences are of these things. Even Christians tackling the, you know, you see people say God is pro-choice. Christian pastors making the argument that God is pro-choice on these things. Um, That, I think, is my concern. I get that the culture, a fallen world, is going to do all that it can to promote wickedness. That makes sense to me, right? Yeah. But it's the fact They're just that, being consistent. Yeah, they're just being consistent, <laughs> but it's it's the church, you know, and the I guess the failure, I, I come back to just the failure of the church to help people think Christianly across a, a wide spectrum of ideas and disciplines where you you w- things aren't boiled down to well, Jesus died on the cross to save sinners, and so we should be nice to sinners so we can see them ask Jesus into their hearts. That is, that is not the sum total of Christian thought on existence. Right. There is so much more to the Christian tradition, and the Christian tradition speaks into so much more of life than that reduction, you know? Yeah, it's not as though in Christian thought there is the gospel— Jesus died for your sins, and, you know, the whole locus of ideas there. And then everything else is gray after that. Right. It's like there are there are varying degrees of certainty and uncertainty about any number of ethical choices, but there is wisdom, there is knowledge, there is revelation on these topics. Well, and, and there it is the case that notwithstanding our future destiny, which is assured in Christ, we have something we're supposed to do with our lives, and— and I think we we more than touched on this in the whole series of podcasts we did on first principles. I mean, there, you know, Jesus' work does not do away with the mandates for human existence in the world that God had put in place at creation. You know, that didn't go away. You know, we're still male and female. We're still in his image. We're still—there's uh, we, still a procreative 
uh, mandate. We're still uh, supposed to work. You know, I mean, there's on and on. There's a whole list of things that has not been undone by the gospel. The gospel, in in fundamental ways, is a restoration of man's proper role in in the the world in anticipation of a final mm-hmm. you know redemption both bodily and and you know uh, spiritually uh, that's going to come you know when he returns but i think we do have to not pretend as if uh this is that christianity is about nothing more than our own moral rehabilitation i mean it's not less than that but it's far more than that mm-hmm. yeah there's i i guess one of the things that frustrates me is that the devil came on the offensive and Christians were caught with all their swords and spears already turned to plowshares and pruning hooks. And, and we, we have this idea that there, we, like we were completely unprepared for the spiritual war that was coming at us in, in our minds. It's like, um, we need, there is still work to do. There is evil to fight against as believers. We need to be armed with good Christian theology and thinking about politics, about society, about families, about, um, you know, any number of things. And uh, I feel like we're just so totally unprepared for it, which is why which is why we're doing a podcast like that, and which is why we're challenging people to give themselves to thinking well yeah. about all these issues, you know? Yeah, there's there's kind of a historical hiccup in the evangelical church where we really didn't have uh, an apparatus or a stance or a, a, a united voice on abortion until after Roe versus Wade. Not in the sense that theologians were somehow wondering, is it okay to kill babies? But the evangelical church didn't rise up as one until after a Roe versus Wade happened to go, uh, wait, how do how do we handle this? And so we sort of were caught on the back foot, as you, as you say, mm-hmm. and, and and what worries me is what is what is the the culture of death cooking up that we're not prepared for, mm-hmm. so that when it hits us like a tidal wave, we're going to have to be on the defensive again. Well, mm-hmm. I think we're going to talk about this probably in the next podcast when we get to the next commandment. But I I think um, much of what you see today in terms of sexual mores is in fact uh an outgrowth of the culture of death um the 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 trajectory of all of that is Mm anti-procreative at its core Mm -hmm. and that you know is just a preemption of life is not so much uh not so easily distinguished from the termination of life i Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. and all and all in the name of self-expression yeah Mm mm-hmm Yep. You know, one of the things that we were talking earlier about um, uh, defending the dead, keeping faith with the dead by, I guess, justly executing their murderers. Uh, when we lived overseas, you know, Saudi Arabia has some pretty strict laws, and uh, we were told that in our orientation before we moved over there about here's here's how they operate, here's how they think. Here, it's uh, innocent until proven guilty. There, you're guilty until proven innocent. And so be very careful what you do was the, was the warning. Uh, but they, when it comes to murder, very strict. And in the five years that we lived there, there was one murder that we were even made aware of that took place. And that guy was brought out in public with a pillowcase on his head, and they beheaded that guy. And my point is... When the word says the government doesn't bear the sword for no reason, literally in their case, and the government does its job that God intended for it to do for evildoers, there is a much more uh, reverent approach to the value of human life, at least when we lived over there. You didn't even think. I mean, people, that's the last thing on your mind, walking the streets, you know, uh, because they knew that the consequences were real. Mm I think where we sit today, I mean, that's that's people kind of laugh at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't we don't, you know, and I and understand there's there's a waiting period to find out did this guy really do it or this woman really do this. But when they're proven guilty, I'm not saying that execution is 
the answer every single time. I don't know. I, I mean, I know that's another topic, but I don't think it's wrong, you know, when somebody is put to death for murdering someone else mm-hmm. by by the government, not, our, not, not vigilantes where we take it into our own hands. Well, the Word says God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. Yeah. And um, and that's that's an alarming uh, reality for for people who've reduced Christian thought to sort of lumping all sinners into one category as well. God loves them. Um, they're surprised to learn that God hates the people, the hands, literally the people who shed innocent blood. He's not about that life. Um, and uh, you know, the long and short of the sixth commandment is. Uh, don't go kill people just don't do it and and preserve life for the glory of God uh, and for the good of your neighbors this has been a faith and culture conversation a ministry of Lake Ridge Bible Church you can join the conversation by emailing us at faithandculture at lakeridge.org. Special thanks to Jeremy Wilkerson for producing.